I've been asked this morning to speak about um, self-control as part of our series on the nine habits. Um, Flick, is that on the front? Let me just try again. There we go, self-control. You'll know that over the past several weeks we've been looking at what we've been calling the Oasis Nine Habits, um, and here are the nine different habits. Um, We've talked over and over again over the last few weeks about how these are linked to that passage in Galatians called the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And these are not quite the same words, but they're similar words to some of the words in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, So we've been looking at patience, forgiveness, uh, self-control, humility, honesty, um, how to be considerate, how to be joyful, how to be hopeful, and how to be compassionate. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've been asked to speak about two of these topics. Um, and so at the evening service a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about hopefulness. Um, and then this morning, I've been asked to speak about hope, um, self-control. Um, and I told the evening service when I spoke last week, that when I told Anna that these were the two topics that I'd been put down to speak about, she couldn't stop laughing that I'd been asked to speak about hopefulness and self-control. Um, obviously, she doesn't think I've got much expertise to share in this area. Um, And last week when I told the evening service this, she said, you shouldn't tell everybody that because you make me sound really heartless. Um, But to be honest, I've been working on honesty as well. And, you know, if the cap fits. um, (laughs) um, (laughs) To be honest, though, Anna is probably right. Uh, Self-control is not necessarily my area of expertise. I'm the man who, as a child, used to have to stop buying birthday presents and Easter presents for my family too far in advance because I'd buy Easter eggs for my sister and then have eaten them by the time Easter came. (laughs) I'm also the man that, as I was planning for this talk, on Tuesday night, set aside Tuesday night to plan for this talk, and instead of doing it, watched nine consecutive episodes of Modern Family, just to avoid (laughs) doing it. Um, I guess all of us are in a position where self-control, to different degrees, is something we've got to work on, isn't it? Um, Nobody's the expert in this area. I want to start, though, by telling you a story. Um... This is a story about a Greek god, Zeus, who was the king of the gods. Um, And I don't know whether you know, but um, Zeus fought off the titans to become the king of the Greek gods. Um, And in doing that, um, Zeus really irritated the titans and really irritated a lady called Gaia, who was the mother of the titans. Um, And Gaia was so furious with Zeus for having done this that she decided to create, and this is one of the... Uh, Greek myth story. She's decided to create this monster called Typhon. Um, and she created this monster, and Typhon was a fireball breathing. He threw rocks, he hurled stones, he was an absolute disaster of a monster. And she set Typhon on the Olympian gods and chased them all off, and they disappeared off to Egypt and ran away to Egypt. Um, and as they ran away to Egypt, Zeus got um, accused of being a coward. Um, and obviously, as a Greek god, being a coward is not a good thing. Um, so Zeus decided he can't be a coward and was going to step up to the plate. So Zeus went off to fight Typhon, and Zeus was fighting Typhon, and in this strange twist in the story, um, Typhon cut all of Zeus's tendons and locked him in a cave so that he couldn't fight. Um, and so Zeus is locked in this cave, but fortunately, one of his mates, Hermes, uh, manages to get into the cave and manages to somehow miraculously heal the god Zeus. Um, and Zeus came back out of the cave fighting again. Um, and the story goes on to say that Zeus was fighting with Typhon on the island of Sicily, and in then what I think is the weirdest twist of the story, Zeus picks up a mountain on the island of Sicily and crushes the god Typhon under this mountain. Um, and the story goes on to explain that Mount Etna on the island of Sicily is supposed to be the crushed god 
typhon, the crust monster typhon, um, which is why it's a volcano and spitting fire out into the air. Um, Zeus prevailed. Zeus was powerful and managed to control that situation. And the reason I tell you that story is because the Greek gods, when you're looking at them, are all about control and power and magnificence and courage and all of these really lofty, powerful things. Um, And so over the last several weeks, we've been talking, um, when we've looked at each of these different virtues, and Steve talked to us about this, about Aristotle. So some of the classical philosophers who lived in those stories, lived in a world of powerful, mighty gods who were sometimes kind to humanity but were sometimes really evil to humanity too. Aristotle lived in that world. Aristotle was a philosopher who tried to come up with um, a set of, I guess, virtues for how you live what he called a, a great life, how you become a great soul. And so on the, on the screen there, there are some of the virtues that Aristotle came up with. And Aristotle said, in order to live a great life, in order to be a great person, a great soul, here are some of the things that I think are important. So courage, temperance, liberality, magnificence, magnanimity, proper ambition, patience, truthfulness, wittiness, friendliness, modesty, and righteous indignation. And Aristotle said there's a sort of sweet point to aim for. So if you take courage at the top, you don't want to be cowardice, and that's a deficiency. And you don't want to be rash either, that's a real excess. You want to find the point somewhere in the middle between an excess of courage and a deficiency of courage. You want to find the sweet spot in the middle. And so he did that for all of those different virtues there. But as you look at that list, you'll probably see that lots of those words actually come out of those Greek myths and stories. These are words which are about power and control, and from my position of authority, I will be liberal. From my position of authority, I will have the proper ambition. From my position of authority, I will be courageous. From my position of authority, I'll be modest. But these are all um, virtues that speak of, from my position of authority, power and courage and all of those sorts of things. And they're born out of some of those Greek stories. You live in your story, and Aristotle did, um, and these are some of the words he came up with. And over the last several weeks, we've been saying that, actually, the words in the Bible, the fruit of the Spirit, there are nine of them, and they're a direct reaction to some of this stuff. When Aristotle says life is about power and control... Paul, in the Bible, says that's not true at all. Life is about humility and self-control. When, when Aristotle talks about controlling the world around you from your position of authority, the Bible says, actually, forget that. Control yourself first. And so we talked about that in terms of all of the different habits that we've looked at over the last several weeks. And we've also said this, that the only part of the universe that I can definitely control... The only part of the universe that you can definitely control is you. Everything else is a little bit out of your control. The only part that you can definitely do something about is you. And that's an easy catchphrase, isn't it? It sounds nice. It sounds like, yeah, I get that. And actually, I think in practice, for me, it's much more easy to say than it is to live out. I guess at work and I guess in all of my life, I spend quite a lot of my time trying to manage the external world around me. At work, how do I make sure we've got enough money for that? How do I make sure that person's doing the job I think they should be doing? How do I make sure that person reacts to me in the right way? I spend a lot of my time, and I guess probably we all do, trying to manage the external world around me. And actually, I just wonder, in my week, what's the balance between me managing myself 
and me managing the world around me and have I got that right? I think it's easier to say than to do. So my first point is that the Bible is talking about take control of yourself first and foremost. And I think that's um, something we ought to think about. I think there's a a bit of an issue with that. If we look at self-control, I think it can become a little bit self-indulgent if we're not careful. It's like, I will take control of myself to make me better. I will exercise more because that will benefit me. I will um, eat more healthily because that will benefit me. I will stop going to the pub so much because that will benefit me. It's all a bit me, I, I, I. It's all a bit self-indulgent if we're not careful. And I think we've got that slightly wrong if that's the way we think about self-control. I think the Bible constantly talks... And this is just one very famous example of it. But constantly talks about not being self-indulgent. It talks about being other-centered. Not being self-centered, being other-centered. So this really famous passage in the Bible, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and your strength. The second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Love God and love other people as you love yourself. The Bible constantly says, don't be self-centered be other-centred. And so I think when we think about self-control, we've got to be careful not to make it a self-indulgent pursuit. The point of being self-controlled is in order to be other-centred more and better. The point of being self-controlled is in order that we can be other-centred and be kinder to other people around us. I think the other mistake we make when we think of self-control is that it's purely to do with the denial of things. God's got this random and quite long list of things you're not allowed to do, and self-control is all about fighting against the temptation to want to do those things. Um, And I just think that's probably the wrong lens to look at self-control through. I think self-control should be about how am I self-controlled enough to be more other-centred? What am I going to do with my self-control? And I think as we've looked at the nine habits... I think we could run the risk of treating them a bit like a menu. I'll do that one, that one, and that one, and forget the other six. I'm good at that one, that one, and that one. I'm not so good at those. It doesn't really matter. I think the fruits of the Spirit come as a package. And I think the reason self-control is actually at the end of the list is because it's the tool with which to do the others. Be self-controlled so that you can be more other-centered and joyful. Be self-controlled so that you can be more compassionate to other other people. Be self-controlled so that you can be more generous to other people. Be self-controlled so you can be humble and benefit other people. I think self-control comes at the end and it's a package with the others. And it's almost, in my mind, the sort of tool with which to do the others. Yeah. My second point really is self-control isn't just about denying yourself. Self-control is about what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that self-control? And I think it comes coupled with the other fruits of the Spirit. I want to just pause for a second, because Danielle is going to come and read us just two different bits of the Bible, um, which we can then talk about a little bit. Thank you. Um, The first reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1, if you want to follow. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And just one verse from John chapter 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Great, thank you. Um, So over the last several weeks we've also been talking about each of these habits and saying you could look at some of these habits as being quite passive words. I will sit on my hands and be patient. I will patiently sit here and just hope and be hopeful that the future is going to be different. We could look at some of these words as being a bit passive and it just doesn't require anything of us. It just, I've got to sit in my chair and just be patient that something will change in the future. I think actually all of these words are active words. I've got to actively be patient. And I think self-control plays into that. What am I actively going to do with my self-control as opposed to what am I actively going to stop with my self-control? See what I mean? Um, The reason I picked those two readings, I mean, the first one is about, it sounds like it's about Jesus denying himself things in the desert. Um, And for my money, I think part of that story is about Jesus practicing the skill he was going to need in the rest of his life. Jesus was practicing self-control. He was going to need the self-control to be able to deal with people's physical needs. He was going to need the self-control in able to be able to help people relationally. He was going to need the self-control to help people's spiritual needs. He was going to need the self-control to celebrate with people. He was going to need the self-control to listen to people's stories. And I think sometimes we read the stories of Jesus and think, well, Jesus was God, therefore it was easy for him. And I wonder whether it was more like, you know, when Jesus is wandering through the crowd and sees Zacchaeus and he knows that he should go and have a meal with Zacchaeus because he needs his help relationally, whether Jesus needs the self-control to be able to go and do that. Like he probably preferred to be at home reading a book, you know. Um, But instead he's got the self-control to actually go and do it. Jesus needs the self-control to stand and listen to the woman at the well and hear her story and understand where she's coming from. I think we can look at Jesus and think, well, he's got it, he didn't need it. I think actually Jesus was practicing the skills at the beginning of his ministry, which he was going to need to do active things in people's lives. I think Jesus was developing a skill that would allow him to be actively and tenaciously loving towards others. And the reason I put the second reading in there um, is because Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater things than me, or you're going to do the things I've done. And I think we easily jump to, that's all about the sort of miracles in the Bible. What about if Jesus was saying, you're going to develop the self-control in able to be as loving as I've been to other people. You're going to develop the self-control in able to be relational with people. You're going to develop the self-control in able to make, meet people's spiritual needs. You're going to develop the self-control in a, in, which will enable you to celebrate with others. What if Jesus was saying, do the things that I've done in my life, you're going to be able to do these things too. You're going to need to develop the self-control to do it. 
as I've been researching some of this, I've been looking at a little bit of philosophy about some of this. And I want to start by telling you a little story. Um, some of you will know that I, before I worked for Oasis, I trained as a teacher um, and did some supply teaching. And I, I did supply teaching in a school which was on the way towards special measures. It was really struggling. Um, and I remember I used to come home at the end of the day having done like however many lessons, six lessons worth of supply teaching in a day, and had to sit in a darkened room to, like, recover after it. <laughs> um, I went to one particular lesson, I remember, where I, I turned up and um, was, I think it was a history lesson I was, I was doing, turned up, and two minutes into the lesson, the cupboard exploded behind me because somebody had lit a firework in the cupboard and the room filled with black smoke. <laughs> um, it was not a, a great place to be. But the reason I tell you about supply teaching was that I used to turn up and get my cover work, and the cover work was often design a poster of safety equipment in the science lab, design a poster of the water cycle, design a poster about all the different musical instruments you can think of. And so I would disappear off to these lessons with my poster, and I'd sort of set the end goal for the kids. The end goal was a poster, and everybody knew that was ridiculous and a bit pointless. And so I'm sitting there with the end goal in mind, and the kids know the end goal is a bit pointless, and therefore nobody really wanted to engage with that. And I used to think at the time, and still think, wouldn't it be great if kids at school had got a fire that was lit inside them where they knew who they wanted to be in life and they knew what they wanted to do in life? If they'd got that fire inside them, they'd be able to take advantage of the discipline of being at school. If I know what I want to do in life, I'll put myself through the discipline of learning some maths because it's going to be useful to me. If I know what I want to do in life, I'll put myself through the discipline of learning English, because I know that's going to be useful to me. If I know what I want to do in life, I'll put myself through the discipline of being creative, because that's going to be a great skill for me in the future. Knowing what you want to do and the sort of fire inside you that drives you towards that sort of unlocks school and makes it more of a, a training opportunity as opposed to just the goals have already been set and they're quite random and you don't necessarily know what the point of them is. To take a completely different story, um, there's a kid called Tom Horton, a, a kid, he's a, a young man now, he's at university. Tom Horton uh, uh, is somebody who was at one of our schools in Immingham, uh, an Oasis school, and Tom is a person that completely knows what he's about and what he's trying to achieve in life. Immingham is a small port town on the side of the Humber estuary, um, and Tom knows that his job is to serve that community. His job is to change the place he lives. And because Tom knew that, and he knew that when he was at school, and he still knows that now, because he knew that, Tom took full advantage of all the disciplines of being at school. He knew why he needed some maths. He knew why he needed some science. He knew why he needed to be in a history class, because he was going to use those skills to do the thing he was there to do. And Tom did that then, and he still does that now. The philosophy I was reading was by a guy called Immanuel Kant, a very famous philosopher. And Immanuel Kant says that freedom and discipline are not enemies of one another. Freedom and self-control are not enemies of one another. I think we sometimes look at discipline as being like, you know, the enemy of freedom, really. Like, I'd love, love to do all of these things, but I can't because I've got to be disciplined. And actually, Immanuel Kant says they go hand in hand. They go together. In fact, he says education is freedom and discipline in unity together. He says that you've got to have the freedom to set your end goal. You've got to have the freedom to decide what your moral ends should be, your moral goals should be. And then once you know what they are, he says, once you know what they are, you'll endure the restraints of discipline in order to get towards that freedom. 
Once you know what your moral goals are, you'll put yourself through some of the restraints of discipline in order to get there. And the other side of the coin is, if we don't know what our moral ends are, I think we can end up all over the place. We can develop some random habits, um, we might develop some self-control, but unless, we, unless it's set in a sort of moral framework, we could end up doing anything. I suspect Vladimir Putin is a pretty self-controlled man. I suspect Bashar al-Assad is a pretty self-controlled man. Like, unless you know what your moral ends are, you could use some of these skills to do really terrible things. And Immanuel Kant, and this is probably where I disappear from what he was saying, it sort of says that each of us have got to do that individually. Each of us have got to set our own moral ends, decide what we think our duty is in life. And in a Christian context, that's a bit tricky, in that the Bible and Jesus and God, I do think, is saying to us, here's a framework for how to live a flourishing life. Here's a framework for how to truly thrive. Jesus is definitely saying, follow me, copy me, imitate what I do, and that's the right way to live. And I think the freedom that we've got within that is, first of all, we need to decide whether we accept that or not. We don't have to. And secondly, we need to grapple with, critique, challenge, understand the life of Jesus, understand those nine fruits of the Spirit, decide, well, how does that work? Do, Do I really agree with that? Do I really believe that? Unless we own some of those things, unless they become the fire inside us, we'll probably never be able to use them in the way that Jesus is talking about. I think our freedom is to really challenge and grapple with and try and own them for ourselves. Once we've done that, I think we then develop the disciplines of working towards our moral ends, and that becomes possible. I'd just like to say as a sort of small caveat, and then we're going to talk a little bit about just how practically how you do it, but I think self-discipline sometimes can go a little bit too far. Self-control can go a little bit too far, and we probably end up thinking about it almost as a means to an end. Uh, Sorry, almost as the end in itself rather than a means to an end. Self-control is the thing I do because self-control is good. Um, And I think sometimes life can become a bit managed, a bit controlled, a little bit calculating almost, because I've got my life so ordered and so boundaried, um, it doesn't quite work. When I was at university, I went to a church, and there was a a couple of youth pastors who were there, who were part of the church, and it's a pre-evangelical church, and these people were the bastions of self-control. And their lives were so ordered that it was like, no, on a Friday I do not do anything to do with the church because I'm recovering from the week and I've got to keep my energy for the following week. They got so much protection and boundary around them that I thought something was lost a little bit in that, great, you do need to protect yourself and keep your energy for the following week, but you've missed the opportunity for developing that great relationship on a Saturday when you're not there. And so there's something lost in the being too boundaried sometimes. I think sometimes we can lose some of the colour, fun, creativity in life if we overmanage ourselves. I guess, though, on the flip side of that, I guess self-control, short of a new heaven and a new earth, I think it's always going to be a bit of a compromise. I think on a Tuesday evening I could decide I need to relax, I need to keep some energy because on Wednesday I want to be the best I can be. In, you know, I've got an important meeting at work or something. and I want to do that for wholly good reasons. On the other hand, I've had to turn down the opportunity to go to the pub with Tim, and that means I haven't developed that relationship with Tim that evening. I think there's always some tension in some of this, in that you're sort of picking like how you manage your virtues, if you like. Every yes implies a no. 
So if I say yes to that, it probably means I'm having to say no to that. I think self-control always is that compromise, and I think we're all different, so we'll probably put that compromise in slightly different places. I think also there's a bit of a tension with, we talk about God's love as being ex- extravagant and exuberant and reckless and exciting, and then we say, yes, but I've got to be very managed and self-controlled. And I think there's a tension in some of that too. Where's my extravagance and exuberance and excitement in, in the midst of that? And, and Manuel Kant actually warns about this in some of his uh, philosophy, and he says, too much discipline can make one narrow and to lose proficiency. So too much discipline can make one a bit narrow and unable to do some of the things you'd love to do. So to think about self-control practically, um, I think self-control is about what act. I'm going to develop self-control in, active, in, able, in order to be able to actively do this. I'm going to develop self-control in order to be able to actively do this. If it's an active thing, if it's about living out the other fruits of the Spirit, how do we develop self-control? And as I said at the beginning, I'm certainly not any expert on this, but I think the first most important thing is we've got to know why, what our moral goal is, what is it we're aiming for. I think we've genuinely got to understand who we are and what we're aiming for. If we get that right, I think we can then put ourselves through the discipline of developing self-control. If we know what our motivation is, I think we'll be more likely to be able to develop self-control. I've also been looking into, as I was planning for this, some of the sort of monasticism, some of the ancient monasticism, and also some of the new monasticism with monks and different orders of communities. Um, St. Benedict, who's one of the ancient monks um, who developed a community, wrote something called a rule for life. And St. Benedict said... In your rule for 